Well, good morning. Go ahead and be making your way to Hebrews. We're going to be looking at uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. You can be making your way there. I don't know about you guys, but <clears throat> I am fascinated by these ultra-endurance events. Something about watching other people suffer, I don't know what it is, but I'm just fascinated by these events. Uh, recently, there was a guy by the name of James Lawrence. Some of you may have heard of this guy. They call him the Iron Cowboy. And he did, he completed 100 Ironmans in 100 consecutive days. An Ironman a day for 100 days. Now, just so you're clear, an Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim, a 112 mile bike ride, and then you celebrate that by running a marathon, 26.2 miles. And so he did this 100 days in a row. And then on the 101st day, he got up and did it again. 101 consecutive Ironmans. Now, one of the most, uh, most grueling events in the world takes place in Australia. And uh, <clears throat> it is from Melbourne or Sydney, Australia to Melbourne, Australia, and it is 543.7 miles. Can't forget that 0.7. It is the longest ultra marathon in the world. In 1983, they ran it with 150 runners. And on race day, 61 year old Cliff Young walked up to the registration table. And he was wearing overalls, work boots, and a straw hat. And so they thought that he was there as a spectator. But no, he wanted to sign up for the race. And so he signed up. And Cliff Young had grown up on a farm without the benefit uh, of luxuries like horses or four-wheel drive vehicles, four-wheelers, anything like that. And so when storms would roll in across... Uh, across his farm, he would head out to round up some 2,000 sheep over his 2,000-acre farm. And sometimes it would take him two or three days to, to round all these up. And so the race officials assigned Cliff bib number 64. Cliff went out to the starting line, started mingling with all these other world-class athletes who were there to run this race. And when the gun went off, they left Cliff in their dust. Cliff began to run with, not like the other runners, but with what could only be described as this odd shuffle. And he began his journey. One of the TV commentators was quoted as, as saying, somebody needs to stop this guy before you know, he kills himself. But five days, 15 hours, and four minutes later, Cliff Young came shuffling across the finish line in Melbourne, winning the ultra marathon. And not winning by a few seconds or even a few minutes, the nearest competitor to Cliff was nine hours and 56 minutes behind him. Now, how did this happen? 
Everybody knew the only way to win this race was to run for 18 or 19 hours, stop for four or five hours, or five to six hours to sleep, and repeat that for five grueling days. The problem was nobody told that to Cliff Young. He just shuffled along day and night, night and day, never stopping. And Cliff broke the previous record by over nine hours and became an overnight national hero in Australia. We continue today our look through the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is written to a body of believers who are suffering because of their faith. And one of the prevailing questions through the book of Hebrews is, what's the point? What's the point? Why should we stick with this? And the central method our message of the book of Hebrews is that life is not a sprint, but life is a marathon. What actually gets you to the finish line is the truth of knowing Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything that it is that you go through. Fix your eyes on Him. And like Cliff Young did from Sydney to Melbourne. Just keep moving forward. So we're going to be looking at what that looks like this morning. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. And throughout the book of Hebrews, the writer kind of moves between teaching and warning. Teaching and warning. And so this passage is the first warning that we get in the book of Hebrews. Now, I learned a long time ago, one of the first things I learned about studying the Bible is when you see the word therefore, you need to figure out what it's there for, right? And so we did that last week. That's the great thing about walking straight through books of the Bible is we did that last week. Last week, we talked about the surpassing excellence and the greatness of Jesus Christ, that he is better than the angels. The angels are messengers, but Jesus is the Messiah. And so when we see that, therefore, that's what it's there for. And so in verse 1, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. We must pay much closer attention. Now, some versions 
we'll say careful attention uh, to what we have heard. And really for us, uh, this, for the first century reader, for the, for the reader that was reading this, what would have come across would be language that would be like nautical language. Like, um, like the original reader would have this idea of a ship that is anchored. And it's either anchored to the bottom on something solid, or it is anchored on a, on a port. But the idea is that so that it would not drift away. Now, when I was a teenager, I used to work summer camps and we would uh, do all kinds of cool stuff. I got to take uh, kids, you know, rock climbing and um, kayaking and canoeing. And uh, we would do hiking trips, uh, do all these things. And one of the things that we ended with every year was a trip down the Buffalo River. It was a 53-mile canoe trip. And we would take, you know, bunches of students uh, down this. And so as we went, it would take us about two or three days to get there. And as we went, we would get to the place that we were going to camp and we would pull our canoes up on the rocks most of the time. But sometimes we would, clip, uh, we would camp on a cliff that was really too high to do that. We had these big old metal aluminum, or aluminum canoes that everybody used to use. And so it was hard to do that. So we would string a rope from tree to tree. And we taught the kids how to tie this knot called a clove hitch. And a clove hitch actually has been used <clears throat> for a long time. Uh, people used to use it with horses when they would come and they would, uh, you know, tie their, their horses to the hitch. And what it does is it allows you to move back and forth, whatever it is, to be moved back and forth and not loosen uh, the knot. And so that's what we would teach them how to tie. So we would camp, but inevitably, every now and then, we would have somebody that didn't tie their knot correctly. And we would wake up and two kids would go to their canoe. That wasn't there anymore. It had drifted down the river. And so that made for a lot of fun because then you had to load everybody up. And eventually, most of the time, we would find it, you know, kind of down in some brush or stuck up on a rock or something like that. But it happened quite often. Canoes that aren't tied well will drift away and so the writer of hebrews here is saying pay close attention because we have a tendency to do the same thing and so number one in your notes fight the drift i went ahead and filled these in for you this week it's beautiful like you don't even have to fill in the blanks so (laughs) fight the drift and the reason that we have to fight the drift is because drift is our nature Drifting is our nature, both for the individual believer and for the church. Drifting is a problem and it possesses real danger. We can look at some examples from the Bible. Think about the church at Ephesus and his letter to this church that we know as the book of Ephesians. Paul writes that they are faithful in Christ. But then later, the writer of Revelation writes that they had lost their first love. That they had drifted. There's a name that appears a couple of times in the New Testament, Demas. And you see Paul mention Demas in Philemon and Colossians. That he's a a fellow worker. He's a helper of Paul's. But towards the end of 
Paul's life in 2 Timothy 4, 9 and 10, he writes, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with the world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And I have to say that in ministry, this is one of the most heartbreaking things in ministry, is watching people drift. Watching people drift from a place of great joy to a place of sorrow. Watching people drift away from peace to turmoil. Watching people drift away from service to not. And so the writer here is saying, we have to be careful. Pay close attention. Drifting is something that happens slowly. But the truth about drifting is this. We never drift towards holiness. We never drift into faithfulness. And we never drift towards goodness. We always drift in the other direction. And so it takes effort. That's why we have to fight. One pastor put it this way, most of us are not in danger of plunging into the sea of carnality. This week or next week, most of us are not going to be murderers or drug addicts. The danger is not plunging into the ocean of perversity, but rather drifting away from goodness almost imperceptibly. We must, as the writer of Hebrews says, pay close attention. Now, there's a lot of debate from Bible scholars, a lot of the commentaries uh, about what's going on in this community. But what we can know for certain is, is that it was a community in crisis. And so as believers, there are two ways that we can drift. One way is towards legalism. So verse 2 of this passage, for since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable... And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. What is this message declared by the angels? Now, what this is referring to is the law. This is referring to the law that was, that was given to Moses at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. And so the writer here is saying, here are the angels speaking of the law. And we know that from what Joe talked about last week, they, there was something with the angels going on. They had some kind of uh, fascination with them. But the writer saying, here is Jesus speaking the word of salvation. And so that's what the anchor is. We get that by contrast from the writer here. Jesus is superior to the angels. That's what we are to anchor to. Christ's salvation. Doesn't it make sense? The word of salvation, the word of grace, is greater than the law. 
And that's not to say that the, the law is bad. It's not what the writer's saying here. Christ, the law is fulfilled in Christ. Christ said, I came to fulfill the law, not to do away with it. The law was good. It was given to us to bring us to a place that we could love God and that we could love one another. The problem is, the law can't save us. The law can inspire us to be better people, but it can't save us. We need more than inspiration. We need salvation. And so the writer here is saying, fight the drift. Fight the drift back towards legalism. And point number two, the reason we fight the drift is because Jesus is better. Jesus is better. See, the thing is, with the, with the law, what was happening, what, what causes this, what was happening is, we take the law and we think, you know, God didn't go far enough here. I need to take it a little farther. That's what legalism is. But the writer here is saying, Jesus is better. Look at verses 3 and 4. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. The Gospel was declared first by the Lord. Jesus came preaching and teaching the kingdom of God. The good news of salvation. And then it was attested to by those who heard, by the apostles, by the disciples, those who followed Christ. Peter, John, Paul. Some of them seeing, walking with Jesus and seeing the miracles. And it was confirmed by signs and wonders, miracles. The feeding of the 5,000. Calming the sea with a word. Raising Lazarus from the dead. Healings. Many. Blind people receiving sight. Lepers being healed. The man with the withered hand. In an instant, healed. And wonders. And the wonder of wonders, the resurrection of Christ from the dead. That is the wonder of wonders. That's the point of it all. I mean, if the resurrection is not real, why are we here? What's the point? Sleep in on Sunday morning. 
set your fantasy football league on Sunday morning. But on the flip side of that, if it is true, if Christ really did rise from the dead, then there is nothing that is more important. Nothing. Because what that means is Jesus is who he says he is. And if he is who he says he is, then we need to do what it is that he calls us to do. And that is the message of the New Testament, the ministry, the teaching of Jesus, the miracles and wonders, the life, death and resurrection, the witness of his followers, salvation by faith, the spread of the church through the Holy Spirit. This is the New Testament. Saying Jesus is better. And so the question this morning is, are you drifting? Are you drifting? So I want you to be honest and answer some of these questions. Just in your own mind and own heart. Do you have a hunger for the Word of God? Do you make time for the Word? Do you schedule your life around that as opposed to I'll fit it in when I have a minute? Some of you probably do. Most of, I hope hope all of you do. (laughs) But, But the next question is this. When you read it, do you listen? The, the writer here is saying that we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we not, do not drift away. Now understanding, this letter was written to Jewish believers who had heard the Gospel and who had turned away from rituals and religion and turned to Jesus. But now, they're slipping back into their old, comfortable religious rituals and religious rules. And that can happen to us. We can become numb to the things of God because they are so familiar to us. And so if that is you, then ask God to bring the Word back to life in your heart again. To bring the Word back to life.
I mentioned earlier there are two ways that Christians can drift. One way is towards legalism. The other way is towards licentiousness. That is a disregard for the things of God. And so the question is, if the, if the Word of God is not feeding you, what is? Something is. But if the Word of God is not feeding you, what is it? The next question, is there joy in your worship? Is there joy in your worship? Do you look forward to coming here and gathering with the body? Do you look forward to sitting under the preaching and the teaching of the Word? Singing and praying with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you sing? And if not, why not? As the worship leader, I need to know. (laughs) And I have to be honest here. Men, I'm looking at you primarily. (laughs) Not all of you. Not all of you, but some of you. Because when I see, when I look out and I see who's not singing, primarily it's men. And I don't know where this idea came from that it's not manly to sing or that singing is not something men do, but I can tell you where it didn't come from. It didn't come from here. Have you become cold and callous towards other people? A lot of times the main place that this happens is on social media. When you have that distance. You feel free to say things that you wouldn't say if you were face to face with someone. And the big one is this. Have you become numb to sin? Have you become numb to to sin. John Owen said this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. How aware are you you of the presence of sin in your life? Are you daily going to God and asking Him to reveal sin in your life? And then are you confessing that sin regularly? A.W. Tozer wrote this, the the complacency of Christians is the scandal of Christianity. Time is short and eternity is long. The awareness of sin used to be our shadow. Christians hated sin. They feared it. They flew, flew from it. 
But nowadays, the shadow has faded. Nowadays, the accusation, you have sinned, is often said with a grin. Drifting is our nature. And we drift towards legalism or we drift towards licentiousness. The staff is is reading this book. We read books together often, but it's called Outgrowing the Inward Church. We meet on Mondays for our staff meetings and we go over things in the book that struck us. And this was back in the first chapter. Uh, John Miller wrote this and it just floored me. So is God working in your life? Are you repenting? Are you building your life on Christ's free justification and your sonship in Him? Or are you loaded down with inward guilt? And then the thing that floored me. Have you ever done a single thing because you love Jesus? Or stopped doing anything because you love Him? Our faith is never static. It's never standing still. We are either going forward or we're going backward. And what the writer of Hebrews here is telling us is that we need to strive to go forward. Because Jesus is better. This great salvation. Jesus is better. We've got to fight this drift. And instead, be filled with awe. And instead, be filled with wonder. And instead, be filled with praise. And like Cliff Young, just keep moving forward towards the prize. Living lives full of joy, full of peace, full of grace, full of delight until the Lord calls us home. Let's pray. Father, Lord God, we we thank You for Your Word. Father, we thank You that it is alive, that it is living and breathing is profitable for our hearts, for our souls. So Father, I just pray that we would take this word as imperfectly as it was delivered and make it grow fruit in our lives. And Father, we just, um, I just pray, Father, if there are those here who are drifting, 
who are out as far as the anchor line will allow, that you would draw them back and draw them unto yourself. And Father, I pray for those who have yet to anchor themselves to the salvation of Christ. That you would work and move and draw them unto yourself, Father. Lord, let today be the day. Father, we give it all to you. For it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.